0: All right, we're live. Welcome back to Coffee with Craner. I'm your host, Lyndon Crane, joined by somebody I imagine you've seen on TV all summer long, Joe Siddle. He's from the Windsor area, and he was also a former professional baseball catcher. Uh, He played in the Major League Baseball with the Montreal Expos, the Florida Marlins, and also the Detroit Tigers. Fun fact, batted left through right. His first MLB debut was July 28, 1993 for the Montreal S expos. And today you probably see him on Blue Jays television on Blue Jays Central as a studio analyst and uh, talk show host. Uh, Joe, so glad to have you on the show today to talk about baseball and your love for it.
1: My pleasure, Lyndon. Look forward to it.
0: So uh, we have a lot of questions, a lot of great people popped in with their questions. And I'll kick it off first with where in Windsor-Essex is your favorite place for a cup of Joe? (laughs) <laughs>
1: I am a big coffee drinker I'll tell you that first and foremost both my wife Tamara and I are we're homebodies we love our coffee roasts right at home now I don't want to spoil it I will have to say that it w- there was one time a couple of weeks ago we have a daughter Brooke when she lives out in Amherstburg and we went out for a big bike ride on the county roads and all and we ended up at your happier camper and it was the greatest spot ever a great little town of Amherstburg hadn't been out there a whole lot so it was a lot of fun but um, generally, we brew ours at home. We've always done that. Uh, we're the types that right when we roll out of bed, boom, first thing, it's got to be in our hands. We don't have time to go anywhere. So that's what we do. Uh, sometimes it's Tim's. Sometimes it's McDonald's. But oftentimes what we'll do is if we stop somewhere, even if we're traveling somewhere and there's a local little cafe somewhere, and we'll, we'll grab the home brew and bring a bag home with us. So we will do that for sure. But uh, yes, big coffee drinkers and big part of our day.
0: Awesome. Well, I'm glad to hear you, you support local, and uh, one of my former employers, Happier Camper. Um, so let's, let's kickstart things. When you started your career in baseball, it, it, it's obviously extremely difficult to, to stand out amongst teammates and really climb the ladders of professional baseball up until the MLB. How did you stand out?
1: Well, Lyndon, I was the guy that was known as a defensive catcher. And what that means is defense was the strength of my game. Um, Hitting wasn't. When I first signed as an amateur free agent, sure, I hit a little bit when you're 17 and 18 and 19 locally and playing for your provincial teams or national team, but it's a whole different ballgame once you sign professionally because you can be the best from where you came from, but when you sign and play professionally, now you're playing with and against the best of where they came from, and quite frankly, it's the best in the world because it's not just Canada and the United States. It's all over the world. It's, It's Asia. It's all of Latin America. So you're playing the best of the best generally around your age throughout the minor leagues. And for me, because defense was my strength, I focused on that because I felt that it was important that I maintain my strength and not only that, but tried to improve on and continue to be the best catcher that I could be because I knew that that was my ticket to get to the major leagues. Now hitting for me, of course, would have always been a bonus. I wish I had hit more, but I I did a lot of things and tried a lot of things to become a better hitter at the professional level. Um, Got me four trips up to the major leagues, which was fantastic, but uh, Denver never could quite stay there. And that's generally the difference, but, when I look back to this day, the, the strong focus for me was maintaining your strengths. You always have to work on your weaknesses for sure, but maintain your strengths because
0: that's where, that's what got you to where you were. And, and did you ever have to work on those weaknesses on offense when you, when you made it to the MLB, the major leagues, the big leagues? Did you have to focus on, on scaling up in offense and, and batting and, and things like that?
1: Every day, every single day, I'd say every day in the minor leagues as well for parts of 13 seasons, because that's what you do as baseball players. It's It's a different sport than all of the others because you do play every day. It's not like football where you play once a week or hockey or basketball where you play two or three games a week. It's every day for six months pretty well. And it becomes monotonous. And that's why you'll hear players say that it's a grind. It's a mental grind as well as a physical grind because you're doing the same thing day in and day out. And I've always said the the best players in professional baseball in the minor leagues but also in the major leagues – are the ones that are most consistent because everybody has talent. And of course there there are the elite hitters and elite players in the game, but the best players in the game are consistent. And that's why that's probably the biggest hurdle for players once they get to the major leagues is the hardest thing to do is to stay there because now you're playing against the best. It's another level up there. And I always said that each rung on the ladder in the minor leagues from rookie ball to a ball to double A and to triple A was, Really, a, a solid level each time, but then from AAA to the major leagues, I think it's like three or four levels. It's just that much better, and the 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 scouting is there. They're they're going to attack your weaknesses. So yes, it's every single day that you have to try to hone your craft and try to be better than you were yesterday.
0: Uh, exactly. I mean, talk about an, an intense uh, sport to be in. Now, I guess, backtracking a bit, what made you? want to start in baseball? Was it something your parents were teaching you growing up and, and threw you in or did it come naturally to you?
1: You know, when I was young, I was I just one of those kids that played a bunch of sports and played out in the yard. And we went to the school, we played a game called strikeout. Some of you younger generations won't know what that is, but we fired the balls up against the school wall. We drew boxes on the wall. And I grew up in South Windsor where there was a church out beyond where the pitcher would be. So if we hit it on the roof of the church, it was a home run. If you hit the church in the air, it was a double. We had bushes that we had to get it over for a double. We had all kinds of makeup rules. And also in Central Park, we had uh, in South Windsor, there were tennis courts. So we'd hit back where the pool was and it was home run derby. You had to try to hit in the tennis courts. And we played for hours. We'd play all day long and then we'd go home, grab a bite to eat and put our uniform on because we had a game at Central Park at six o'clock. So I, I played a lot of baseball for sure, but then we played hockey in the winter. Played football in the fall, especially as as it got a little bit older. But kind of a, a whatever was in season. That was like my favorite sport. So I don't think my parents necessarily threw me into anything. I probably just gravitated to to loving sports, loving to play sports. And then by the time I got to high school, I kind of honed in on football in the fall and then basketball in the winter. Like literally the se- day this football season was over, I was in the gym trying out for the basketball team at Assumption. And then the day that ended, we were out in the backfields with Father Colin playing baseball at that time for the Assumption baseball team. We played in the U.S. a little bit and that spilled right over into the summer where I played for the Windsor Selects. So it was it was pretty well year round, but multiple sports. And I continue to encourage young kids to play multiple sports because I think that's the fondest memories I have of my childhood. And I think it's a great thing. I think it's a great thing for your body physically and mentally. I think it's a great thing to play on different teams because you're coached by different people. And I think it's important in life to learn. We're all going to have different styles of bosses in our lives. And I had many different styles of managers and coaches in my professional baseball career. Some I loved, some I didn't love so much, but you have to get through it and make it work. And I think those are great learning skills developing as a young kid, playing multiple sports.
0: No, I, I really appreciate that advice. It sounds like you're, instead of a jack of all trades, a jack of all sports.
1: <laughs> Master um, of none right here. Master of none. <laughs>
0: <laughs> was if, if you didn't go into baseball, would there have been another sport that you would have pursued?
1: So I went to Assumption High School, as I mentioned, and I actually received a full-ride football scholarship out of high school. I was a quarterback. So I went over to Central Michigan University. I just went for one year my freshman season because I went to school the first year and I was redshirted as a quarterback, which means you don't play in any games, but you dress for all the home games. You don't travel, but you practice every day. You basically do everything but play in the games. So that gives you an extra year of eligibility. So when I was due to go back my second season or my second school year, I actually had a call from a local Montreal Expo scout to come out And asked me if they were hosting a local camp out in Tecumseh at Lacoste Park. And they asked me to come out. And I thought, sure, why not? Well, as it turns out, I guess I had a good couple of days. And they were calling me the next day to offer me a professional baseball contract. And I think I was 19 years old at the time. And I was pretty naive. I didn't really get how it worked back then. This was 1987. And I I remember saying on the phone, well, no, that's a couple weeks from now. I have to be back at school because classes are starting up. Two-a-day football practices are starting up. And they said, well, "No, no, I think we need to speak to your parents about this, and maybe explain how this works." Well, long story short, I had a decision to make: Do I want to go and sign a professional baseball contract with the Montreal Expos and embark on a minor league baseball career and chase the dream of playing in the major leagues one day, and at the same time giving up a full ride football scholarship, which would have been five years at Central Michigan University? It wasn't easy, but at the time, way back then, that was before Canadians had to go through the draft in baseball, so. I accepted it, and I just felt that it was one of those things where it was always a dream to play professional baseball. Um, it was a lot to give up, but I thought that I could pursue that dream and that school would always be there, whereas I thought maybe this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to play baseball. So I jumped at it.
0: I mean, you were definitely in an excellent position. You had baseball, and then you also had football as a backup plan, and that, and then your education and, and now broadcasting, right? So there's so many career paths that were in front of you, and it, it must have been hard to pick. Okay, I want to go into – I want to pursue the, the big leagues.
1: The reason it was so difficult is because I almost felt like leaving school was the wrong thing to do. I was leaving education. And I just, I, I say that because I came from a family of nine kids, all educated. We we're very fortunate. And then I was married to my wife, Tamara, later in life. And I just, education was always part. She's a physician. And education was always in my mind as a very important thing. Clearly, my parents brought us up saying that, education is important. Now they weren't forcing it on us because clearly they helped me make my decision to leave the education and and chase my dream. But fortunately for me, after my 13-year playing career, I came back home and my wife and I have four children. So I was doing the stay home dad thing while she worked a little bit. But then I started going back to school part-time. So I was enrolling at the University of Windsor in the Faculty of Human Caddox. And I just chipped away at my degree. And I thought I'll do one course at a time because it was busy around the house here and coaching kids teams and all. So I did one course at a time and then I did two and then I did three. And then once all four kids were in school full time, I really kind of made a push to finish it. So it took me about seven years to do it, but truly to this day, still one of my, I think most um, probably most proud accomplishments. I mean, sure I got to play in the major leagues and all, but to finish that education. And it was just one of those things. It was a little thing in the back of my mind where, It was almost like unfinished business, something I started and didn't finish. And uh, it wasn't an easy process telling my coaches uh, at school when I wasn't coming back. It was like two weeks notice, basically. And I was going to have an opportunity to possibly fight for the starting quarterback job. So I really let them down. Felt awful. It was awful. It was terrible having to make that phone call. I was on the phone with my positions coach, and he put me on the phone with the head coach. He put me on the phone with the athletic director of the university, and they really all had the same story, basically telling me what a mistake I was making and that it's very difficult to make it in professional baseball and that you're never going to get your education. So there were a lot of things in my head, I, I felt bad. I really let people down. And I felt like I was being very selfish in my decision. And I was because I was thinking about me and that, that was hard, I, I felt awkward doing that. When I look back now, I do think it was the right decision because I did have to look out for what my best interests were and what my dream was. And the fact that I, I felt that school will always be there, guess what? It was. It might not have been Central Michigan. It was the University of Windsor, but I was able to get that degree. And again, very proud accomplishment.
0: Completely understand. Must have been a, a, a tough, tough decision for you. Um, but now, I guess, fast tracking and fast forwarding to life after baseball and what you're doing now. So you're uh, working with Blue Jay Central on Sportsnet and uh, in the studio. How did baseball really prepare you for your job now, life after you've retired?
1: Well, baseball and like any professional sport, the the competitiveness is off the charts because if you're if you're not competing, you're not going to have a job, and it, it happens pretty fast for a lot of players. I was very fortunate to have a very long career, and parts of it in the major leagues. I've played with a number of players early on in the minor leagues that signed got drafted whatever and uh, played for one year two years maybe three years in the minor leagues and it was all over it happens fast Uh, a lot of players don't make it out of a ball let alone getting to double a or triple a and then the major leagues but i think part of it was maybe my own mentality and my own personality i've always been a person that had to prepare I, i i'm a preparer that's just who i am it's that's how i feel i do best whether whether it's a math test or whether it's an interview or whether it's going live on our show before the red light goes on. I have to prepare. I feel best when I'm ready. Now, that doesn't mean you can't just... Go off the cuff once in a while. And, you know, Jamie and I do that all the time. Oftentimes we've got a producer in our ear saying, you know, we still got a minute and a half to kill because we're not going to first pitch yet. So Jamie and I can kind of talk about whatever and he'll throw something at me and we'll roll. That's great. But I, I've always been that way. I was that way as a player. I felt as, as much as I felt comfortable behind the plate as a catcher, it was the strength of my game, whether it was calling a game or blocking balls in the dirt or throwing balls, throwing guys down out at second base. I practiced that stuff. I planned. I went over hitter scouting reports with my pitchers and pitching coaches. I wanted going into that game to have a game plan for all nine hitters on that other team and hitters that could pinch it. And that's their strengths and weaknesses, matching those up against my pitcher strength and weaknesses that day. And that that's just preparation and I've always been that way and it works well for me. I think it probably works well for a lot of people, but some people can probably just go off the cuff a little bit quicker. I, I thought that worked for me and it goes with hitting, it goes with catching, it goes with my sport. But then and now in my job, when I think of what I'm doing, it's the same thing. I mean, whether I'm broadcasting the game or I'm in studio with Jamie Campbell and he, we prepare our chats, we, we get to – actually, we don't even get to the studio. We talk about it all throughout the day, our producers in our ear with emails and talking to us about what we're going to talk about that night. And I might be talking about Bo Bichette and his swing. I might break it, be breaking down his swing. It might be something about Vladdy, whatever it is. I've got my wheels spinning all day long of where I want to go and different places I want to go and talk about so that our producers and editors and people can get all the video that I want. It may be a play that happened in last night's game that I want to break down. So we got to get on the same page and it's it's a lot of teamwork. So, you know, going back to being a professional athlete, teamwork. I was team on teams all my life. And that's where. Even today to this day, who would have ever thought that I'd be in broadcasting, but who would have ever thought I'd be using those team building skills and working with each other? I mean, it's life. Almost everything everybody does involves somehow collaboratively getting together to get the product out there. And for us, it's Blue Jay Central and our show and getting it on air. And that's what uh, I think makes it fire so
0: well. Awesome. Excellent, excellent advice. And I, I really was soaking that in. Um, And I want to switch over just to some comments and questions that came in. Uh, We had a comment from Jane Awad Butler. Uh, Hi, Joe. Uh, Hubby went to high school with you, with your wife. Jacob Robson is my cousin and Mary Lumley is our son. Jack's pitching coach. We feel like we know you. Nice to see your success with the Blue Jays.
1: Well, very nice. I see some familiar names in there. Jacob Robson, of course, got up with the Detroit Tigers this year. Marv Lumley I've coached with for years. His son was also drafted by the Oakland A's, and uh, it's great to hear all those things. It's great to hear from local people, and that's why, you know, when Corinna, when you first uh, contacted me, I you know, don't want to put it out there too much, but, you know, when somebody from Windsor and Essex County contacts me for a pod or something, I, I try to accommodate because, as you can imagine, we get a lot of these requests throughout the course of the season, especially when we're really busy with the day-to-day, and uh, that's why you, you always help local people, and uh, it's good to hear from local people as well.
0: I I definitely appreciate that, Joe. Uh, We had a question uh, from, let's see, from Josh Ryan. Uh, Ask him what made him so successful as a player and what drove him to pursue his dreams. I'm having a hard time dedicating myself 100% to what I dream about, and it would be a good eye-opener to hear from a pro like yourself.
1: Well, I think first and foremost, you have to have a passion for what you do if you think you're to to excel at it. I I think it's very difficult. If I were to choose uh, biochemistry, it wouldn't go very well. That's just not my cup of tea. It's not what I'm passionate about. It's not my strength. It's not an area of strength for me. So you find something that you're good at. Now, for me, I was very fortunate because it was sports, uh, you know, to get an opportunity to play uh, at school on a football scholarship and then to play baseball professionally. And it's almost as though those were my passions, but then the the sports directed me a little bit. You know, I didn't seek out a football scholarship. They came to me and I was flabbergasted. I I couldn't believe that it was happening like that. So I accepted it. And then to get a chance to play baseball professionally, to play, I again, wasn't really pursuing it. Wasn't expecting it came out of nowhere. I was focused on school and playing football at central Michigan and the baseball offer came to be. So but I think it's the, the 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 passion and the the competitiveness of any sport that you play that drove me. So I was doing things that I loved. And I think when you have a passion for things, that's when you're going to be best at them. I didn't choose something else because I wasn't passionate about other things. Now, does that mean that if baseball didn't work out or if football didn't work out, I was going to be a failure? No, because I know in life you have to do something. You have to find something that you like. I was probably, when I was going to school, I was thinking about being a teacher. I uh, always enjoyed working with kids and coaching kids. And I thought that would be a, a wonderful avenue for me. So that's what I was pursuing when I first went to school. But I think I would have found that passion. But in answer to that question, find a passion. And if you can't find one, keep looking. There has to be something out there that really drives you and that you're really passionate about. And I think that's what you want to pursue. Now, is every dream attainable? No, but it's okay to dream big too, because you just never know.
0: Excellent, excellent. Thank you, Joe. And thanks, Josh Ryan, for the question. Uh, Next one, we're going into into sports, a little out of my realm and talking specifics about baseball, as Joe knows. uh, But ask Joe, this one's from uh, Bird Bouchard. Ask Joe if he believes baseball will ever return to Montreal. And if so, will it be the Rays?
1: Wow, Bird. I know Bird. What a great question by the Birdman. It's a great question because of what we've been hearing more recently throughout Major League Baseball, and that's about this merge between Tampa Bay and Montreal playing half a season in Florida and half a season in Montreal. I think it's ludicrous. I I hear through the media sometimes that the story's got some legs to it. I can't see that. I think it's first and foremost something that would have to go through the Players Association. Can't imagine too many players – wanting to get up and move with their families throughout the course of a season. I do think it could be a lot of politicking with what's going on down in Florida and Tampa, because apparently their lease on their stadiums going for another handful of years or so. It could be politicking to say, build us a stadium here or we'll move. I know the Montreal group is saying we want baseball here and we're willing to do it. But as we know, it costs a lot of money to have a major league baseball team, not to mention a brand new stadium, probably in downtown Montreal. You're probably in the billion-dollar neighborhood. So is there funding for it? Lots of answers I don't know. Do I think baseball could be back in Montreal? I do because of the uncertainty in Tampa. And maybe they'll be the recipients of it because of the uncertainty that's going on with the race. But hopefully they have the, the structure in place in Montreal to accept that if that day comes to be. because. You know, it's the difficult thing for me. And I was a proud expo. My first major league call up was the Montreal Expos. But when teams leave cities because they're not really supported, you have to feel a little not too eager to jump back into that place. Now, I think if the funding is all there and we are in in a different era now and they can build a downtown stadium, that'd be wonderful. So the answer to the question, do I ever think it will happen? I think it could, but, I don't think it's anytime soon. I don't think it's anytime soon, once it' right at all. Maybe six or seven years, once that lease finishes in Tampa. I hope I'm wrong. I hope we have the Montreal Expos pretty soon.
0: Yes, I mean tough, tough question, and it's hard to predict the future. Uh, another one comes from Dino on Twitter. What's the trick slash secret for catchers to talk to umps and voice any dissatisfaction in a way that doesn't? Uh, in quotes, piss off or show (laughs) up the um...
1: You have to be smooth. First and foremost, I think it's a great conversation, the umpire-catcher relationship, because as the game starts, you got to be buddies. When you run out there for the first inning and Steve's behind the plate, hey, Steve, how are we doing today? Good, Joe, how are you? Good casual conversation. It's upbeat. It's all good. Now, first inning's coming to be and the second hitter's up and you get a fastball off the outside corner and he calls it a ball. And, and rather than argue or turn around and look at him and make a big scene, you just throw the ball back to the pitcher. Steve, you got that just off the corner. Yep, Joe just missing. I said, okay, I got corner there, Steve. I got to have that. Keep an eye on him now. He's going to throw that sinker out there a lot tonight. And that ball's got some pretty good w- movement. Stay with me now. I got you, Joe, no problem. And then maybe you get that call next time. If you don't get it, then you reiterate what you were saying. So if it's just off again, he calls it again a ball. Steve, you're not giving me that, are you? I said, I got that in the corner. So you've got to have that. Reciprocal effect that relationship where it's friendly tone, but I'll be the first to admit it doesn't always stay that way. Because if he, if it continues and you're not getting pitches you think you should be getting, that's when you have to raise your voice and it gets you get a little bit more angry. And that's where sometimes you'll see some confrontations. And sometimes those happen out on the mound when your pitcher and coach comes out for a mound visit, umpire comes out, and then they get an earful whether it's from the catcher or from the pitching coach. But first and foremost, you want to develop that relationship. And I would say that's one thing I think throughout the course of my career that went very well. Did I have confrontations? Absolutely. But for the most part, if you're a good receiver back there and you give the umpires a good look, they love you. They love you. You're going to get those close calls. And I've got compliments throughout the course of my career. Umpires loving the way that I set up back there. Love the way that I received the baseball, the pitch, and gave them a good look because that's all they can ask for. You're quiet and you give them a good look. They're probably going to be right more than wrong. So give them a good look. They'll give you some calls as they should, and it's a, the favors go both ways.
0: Smooth talking is what I'm hearing. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another question from Dino. Uh, additional one, if you don't mind. When catchers look over to the dugout between pitches, they're not looking for the next pitch to call, are they? I'm guessing big league catchers call their own games. Are they just looking to see if the coaches are putting on a special play?
1: Yeah, that's exactly what they're doing. Most big league catchers do call their own game. Um, it's another topic of conversation, too, because I've seen it throughout college. One thing I did in the minor leagues is I was allowed to call my own game. And the reason that is, is because they want me to learn. And that's what helped me, be, I think, become a good game caller and know how to handle pitchers because you got to do it yourselves. I see college coaches now with the, with the wristbands and they're shooting numbers out to the catchers. So they're calling the game for the catchers. And to me now the catchers aren't going to learn, but we know college baseball is it's a different entity too, because it is about wins and losses if you're a college coach, but what they're doing, those coaches that you'll see signs just like this, what they're doing is controlling the running game. So most times you see those signs it's with a runner on first base. So it's about whether they want the pitcher to throw over to first It's about maybe if you want them to slide step and be quicker to home with your pitch, it might be a pitch out. We don't see a lot of that in the game anymore because stolen bases are way down just with the analytics in baseball. Now we're not seeing as many stolen bases started to see more in the postseason this year, which I thought was very encouraging, but yes, anytime you see these signs from the dugout to the catcher, it's generally to control the running game.
0: Awesome. Uh, One final question. And then uh, there's one more question in the comments that I want to get to. Uh, what are Joe's thoughts on the uh, dearth of MLB catcher reps? Quantity equals zero amongst all the guys managing, coaching the Jays.
1: Well, oh, it's an interesting question. You know,
0: there are a lot of catchers that turn into managers, and
1: it's an adage in baseball that catchers make good managers or good coaches. Because I think the simple reason is a lot of what you've been hearing from me tonight. I mean, you're in the game every pitch of the game. And not only are you in the game every pitch, but you're kind of in control. You're, you're commanding what the pitcher's doing. You're seeing all of the fielders out there in the field and what they're doing. You're seeing what if there's a shift on or if your center fielder shaded over into the gap or you've got the third baseman is the in to protect against the butt. You're seeing all that in front of you. You may call the game accordingly, call your pitches accordingly. So point being, you are like uber-focused every pitch because you're involved, not just with the pitch that's coming in, but what's happening out in the field too. So I think that's that uber focus on every pitch of a game over a number of years. It just makes sense that catchers are just, they're kind of locked in to the tactical part of the game, the strategies. I don't think the left fielder standing out left field, necessarily cares or knows what pitch is coming and he doesn't necessarily care or know where you're going with your next pitch or if it's a ground ball to the right side, like they're, they're probably just not into the game as much and that's not anyone's fault. It's just the fact of the matter as a catcher, that's how it is. So I do think that's why we hear the adders that, you know, catchers make good managers, the blue Jays case, they do have John Schneider who is a coach on the bench. He didn't play in the big leagues, but he has a catching background. Um, could they use one? I don't know if that, you know, I don't think it's a mandatory thing by any means because they've got a lot of very good, very capable coaches. But I do think that's a reason why you do see a lot of catchers, former catchers in the game in coaching and managerial ranks.
0: Awesome. No, I, I appreciate that. And thanks, Edward Sharp, for the question. Uh, final one here from Tal uh, Chudner uh, is also a past guest on the show. Can Joe beat his wife at tennis yet? Ha <laughs> ha!
1: Sounds like somebody that's been spying on me when we play. That's what that sounds like. We have some good <laughs> matches. We have some good matches, Tal. I won't divulge any details. <laughs> awesome. We do enjoy it, though. Great pastime. There's, <laughs> a, there's another sport that we put in the bag. There we go.
0: Yes, yes, exactly. Uh, Joe, if you don't mind, one question that I'll, I, I will uh, sure. I'll let you go here, and I do appreciate your time. Um uh, just a a comment that came here from Tina and Andrew Dion. What was your thought process when things would discourage you? How did you build yourself up or what tactic did you use when you may have struggled?
1: Wow, that's a great question. And the reason it's a great question is because we all go through it in life, right? We've always said everybody's got a story and not everybody's having a good day or a good time. And that's another thing, you know, I talk about Sports in general, let alone professionally, when it means so much because you're doing it for a living. But how do you deal with failure? And I've always said you don't have to accept failure, but you do have to deal with it. And how do you deal with it? Well, I've always said you've got the one choice. When I was in the minor leagues and I was two for my last 37, and it wasn't looking good, and you're down and out, you can do one of two things you can pack your bags and go home, or you can figure out a way to get better and keep trying to move on to the next day. And I always suggested the latter. But it's like that, and that's what again I think why sports have been such a huge part of my life because it does it does help you help you to figure things out and help you to to try to deal with that failure to move on. So what did I do? Worked harder, continued to work harder, find the positives when things aren't like that's easy to say when you're playing a sport if you're not hitting. Oh, it's like oh that's pretty life shattering. No, it's not. (laughs) I think we've all had things in our lives that are much more important than that or and. People have had losses. I think if you look to anybody, any family member, friends, people that you meet on the street, talk to some stranger one day, I'll guarantee everybody's been through something. And that's why you have to just find a way to get through it. And the best way to try to get through it is to be positive and find positives in anything that you can. So going back to my playing days, if it was a rough stretch, hey, maybe in that big slump, I hit a couple balls hard. Maybe I squared up a couple that I just missed. Maybe you're on. So you've got to find a positive to move forward because. The other way is not, not a good place to be. Nobody wants to go down that other avenue. So find a positive and, and continue to move on because there, there is good in everything.
0: I really, really appreciate that. And uh, I think we'll, we'll leave it at that. I, that's excellent advice that we can leave the show with and um, knowing, you know, finding the positives in life. And and thanks, thanks for those that uh, submitted their questions and thank you, Joe, for, for making the time tonight for the folks in Windsor-Essex. Uh, I know I had a lot of, uh, happy people seeing that you were coming on the show and were so eager to to connect with you virtually. Awesome. No problem, Lyndon. Take care. Awesome. Thanks everyone. Have a great night.